Welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. My name is Brad Cooper, and I'll be your host. In today's episode, if you're a fan of the Ironman Triathlon, you are going to love this interview. And if you're sitting there thinking, I have no idea what the Ironman World Championship even is, you're going to love this episode. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest, Chrissy Wellington, four-time Ironman World Champion, Chrissy Wellington, by the way. Chrissy took a unique path to professional sports growing up. She never excelled at sport. She traveled the world for two years, gained a master's degree, worked as a policy advisor on international development policy for the UK government, lived and worked in Nepal, and only became a professional triathlete at the age of 30, having discovered a talent she never knew she had. Five years later, she was the four-time World Ironman champion. Let me say that again. Five years later, she was the four-time World Ironman Champion. Chrissy is passionate about using her platform to convey valuable messages, inspire people, and drive positive change across the world. She's an acclaimed public speaker and the author of two books. Her memoir, which I loved, is titled A Life Without Limits, and she recently, in 2018, also wrote a triathlon training book titled To the Finish Line. You can just hear the joy in Chrissy's voice. Chrissy made smiling on the course, and keep in mind, folks, this is a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, and then a 26.2-mile marathon, all in the heat of Kona, Hawaii. But she made smiling on the course a thing. And now the research shows us that was a pretty good strategy. Just a reminder, you can access all kinds of other resources about wellness coaching and the certification, et cetera, et cetera, at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. And you can reach out to us anytime at results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. So bring on those questions, bring on those suggestions, and now Let's bring on Chrissy Wellington in the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. Well, very good. Well, Chrissy Wellington, thank you so much for joining us today. It is absolutely an honor to have you on the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. Just out of the gate, catch us up. It's been eight years since you won your fourth title in a very dramatic fashion. And now you have a daughter, same middle name as our daughter, interestingly enough. And you're playing a big role with the Global Park Run Organization. Briefly catch us up, what you've been up to. Yeah, it's been a whirlwind since I retired. My last race, like you said, was in October 2011. And, and time really does fly. It only seems like yesterday that I was stepping off my <laughs> TT bike on, uh, on the Lee Drive. But yeah, it's been an incredible journey. I think as many professional athletes will kind of attest to, it's the process of quote unquote retirement, <laughs> transitioning, yeah. Is, yeah. is quite challenging. Absolutely. You know, emotionally, um, very, 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 very difficult at times. The Your life revolves around the axis of triathlon and when that's no longer there, you miss the structure and, mm -hmm. and the goal you know, the focus on, on the goal, you miss the stability, including financial stability that comes with sure. that. So the process of, of transitioning is, is challenging, but that's precisely why I needed to do it, I think, yeah. to challenge myself in, in different ways and explore a new and, and different part of me. And I was always determined to combine two passions. So my, my passion for, for development and, and empowerment and my passion for sport. So in terms of my, my 
professional focus. I am working as global head of health and well-being for Parkrun. And my specific focus is, is encouraging those that are less active to, to be more active in whatever way suits them. So less yeah. of a focus on kind of traditional sport, but more focus on, on, on movement and, and activity and holistic health and well-being. So I'm incredibly passionate about you know, the, the, the path that, you know, my, my career has, has taken and, and is taking me. And in terms of my personal life, I definitely haven't hung up my Lycra, but I am definitely not training four, five, six hours a day anymore. So I, I'm probably training, you know, one, maybe a bit more hours, hours a day, primarily focusing on running. I think it's the most time efficient Um, form of exercise for me and actually the one that I did enjoy out of all of the three when I when I first retired I found it quite difficult to to enter races um, Mm. because I felt that people expected me to perform as I used to and I was doing a lot more uh, I guess in the way of endurance challenges less tangible achievements and it's only more recently that I've I've felt able to throw myself into a variety of different challenges, so marathons or half marathons or ultra marathons and th- and things like that that have you know some time goal attached to them, as well as an, a kind of more of a holistic um, challenge and, and and an experience. So I've really enjoyed. Um, throwing myself into into the running again and 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 embarking on you know the new ultra marathon challenges and then like you said i we gave birth to our daughter esme again time flies it's over 3 <laughs> years ago now wow. so she's 3 going on 30 of <laughs> but, you know just just what a journey just i i don't need to tell tell you that but she's such a blessing and and has rich enriched our lives and and my life in in so many wonderful ways so yeah that's a a very brief um run through of, of where I'm at both personally and professionally but uh, you know it's, I don't think you can ever hope to replicate exactly the the experience and the emotions and the satisfaction that came from being a professional sports person it's very unique but nonetheless life can be full of challenges and can be fulfilling and enriching in 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 many different ways so i'm really enjoying that beautiful well let's go ahead and run down that that uh, rabbit trail you mentioned about entering races without that, you know, external or internal expectation. You're, you're certainly not a slug. And I know you popped off a 249 marathon at London a couple of years back, but how do you do that mentally? You know, for the person who's out there listening, saying, you know, I, yeah, I, I competed in college or not, not at your level, but you know, we all have our own personal expectations. How have you started to shut that off or temporarily turn it off? And then maybe turn it on once in a while for a big event, but any suggestions along those lines for for listeners? I've always placed a weight of expectation on my on, on my shoulders. So not just in the sporting context, but in in academia, for example, I expect a lot out myself. I'm, I'm my own worst critic. Sure. You know, it's a double edged sword. <laughs> Some sometimes, and I can use it to my advantage because it enables me to strive to be the very very best in everything that I do. 
regardless of whether I'm am actually the best at it. Um, but it, you know, can also mean that I never, I never rest. I'm never content. I'm continually trying to to seek improvement, which means you don't stop and, and realize <laughs> what you have, what you have achieved. So I'm, I, there's always a weight of expectation that I place on my shoulders, regardless of whether the public are, are watching me or not. I utilize, I guess, the same tools as I did when I was a professional athlete, in that I remember that I am so much more than an athlete. You're so much more than the label that you're assigned. Right. Um, And in Western society, usually that label is associated with a career. But if I define, if I was, if I define myself and if my emotions were wedded to everything I achieved as an athlete, it would be an horrific roller coaster ride because you're not always a champion and you're not always going to be seen as as that so you have to see yourself as so much so much more than that kind of moniker or that 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 label that you've been given and I when I when I retired I I did feel the weight of expectation to perform as though I was still a professional athlete Mm. and I did slowly realize that 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 wasn't me it was part of me and part of my history but it wasn't who I who I was and and then also you you do realize that people aren't looking at you the way you look at yourself it's probably quite <laughs> arrogant to think people are looking at me that as though I'm a you know still gonna crack out a 244 marathon like I did in an Ironman you know I'm not and people probably don't even expect yet that yet I think that they may sure so maybe that's reflective of my own expectations of my <laughs> I, don't, I don't know but I think it's just disassociating yourself a little bit from the outcome and the way that you identify with that mm-hmm. number one and then also relishing the process if that doesn't sound too trite Brad you know we get so caught up in these tangible outcomes you know, these, I finished first, I finished in the top 10, I ran a 244, I ran a three hour, I, you know, did X, Y, or Z. And it's, it's this numerical marker almost. Right. And that's what our sense of well-being, our sense of achievement, sense of fulfillment is, is associated with. Right. And it's all about the process really because I could be world champion, but if I did not enjoy the journey, if it was a torturous journey that I really didn't like each and every day, that wouldn't be a life worth living. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to really enjoy the process of getting to a goal. It's not to say I shouldn't have goals, but just really loving what I do each and every day and that to be part of, I guess, my measure of, of success, if that makes sense. So I love what you're saying. Can you help us? So let's assume, I'll just say for me, I struggle with that. And I know a lot of our listeners do too. Any practical tips on how to integrate that more effectively? So I can hear in your voice that it's still a growing process for you as well. Mm -hmm. But any things you've learned along the way that have helped you to focus on that process in the midst of that journey? Yes, I think making activity social is very, very important. Um, often when you're in an, 
uh, individual sport like triathlon, the temptation is very much to do things on, on your own and be focused on your goal and your session and your program. And I was guilty of that. And I think just making activity social is very, very important, both in terms of motivation. Um, and yeah, also the sheer, the sheer enjoyment and the sheer pleasure of, of um, being part of a, a group and sharing an experience. For me, becoming or being, I wouldn't even say I became like this, just being less um, I uh, 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 technologically dependent. Mm. So when I'm wedded to a pace or a time, I find that increases or decreases my enjoyment. Mm. So I'm looking more at my watch um, and I'm worrying about what the metrics say than the smells, you know, the aromas of the flowers and, and the beauty around me, uh, you know, all of those kind of moisturic sensations I'm not paying attention to because I'm looking at the watch. Interesting. And that's not saying hitting a kind of numerical target can't be very satisfying. It can, but I think that there's a place for technology and that we sometimes need to disassociate ourselves hmm. from yeah. it in order to, to be able to enjoy that process. I think sometimes it, it, it's very important to have a structure if you're wanting to progress towards a goal, whatever that goal is. It's important to have consistency and have a program, have a structure. But then again, it's important just to be flexible and go with feel and just do things because you want to rather than you feel obligated because it's part of a program. So I think getting that balance right is very, very important. So I do a lot more running now without a watch and definitely without a watch that tells me what, what pace I'm, mm. I'm going at. And then sometimes, yeah, just being a bit more flexible running in the evening instead of in the morning or going off road instead of on road, all of those little you know, subtle changes are, I think, are, are quite important just to just to enjoy the process. And for me, I guess setting myself stepping stone markers. Mm -hmm. So rather than only seeing success in the final outcome, mm -hmm. the marathon time or whatever that might be, also you know having little markers along the way that say, yeah, actually you're improving, you're doing a good job, so that the process of getting to that final a race or whatever it might be, a North Star is an, in, an enjoyable and gratifying one because you can see that you're, you, you are progressing and making, you know, making steps forward. Beautiful. Love it. Okay. So the question you've been asked probably a million or three million <laughs> times, you retired at the top. I mean, Chrissy, you were killing it. You crushed your last one. And then you walked away. How did you know it was time? I, you've, you've referenced some of that. You want to be more than just an athlete, et cetera. But what were some of the things that resulted in that decision? And how did that go? I guess the first thing to say is every professional athlete has to leave the sport at some point. And they leave, different athletes leave the sport at different times and for, for different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it was relatively simple. It, was because I had the race I'd always dreamed of hmm. and I felt complete as an athlete. And that's not to say I couldn't have potentially won more 
or gone faster, but my definition of what my perfect race was um, was very different to those kind of uh, numerical kind of measures. So for me, the measure of success, the measure of perfection was whether I felt that I'd finished a race where I was absolutely annihilated, where I'd fought the battle that I'd always kind of craved with my competitors and and within myself, where I've had to kind of dig to the very depths. And the World Championships in 2011 gave me that. And I didn't think it could be bettered. Yeah, maybe I could have gone faster and maybe I could have won more races, but I could never have had the same feeling of satisfaction, exhilaration, relief, jubilation that I felt at the end of that race. And maybe where, as as professional athletes, we're always searching for that. Mm. And I found it. And I, as much as I wanted to replicate it again and again and again, I almost had the feeling, quit while you're ahead. You've proven yourself now through this race that you're worthy of being called a champion and that means you're enough. So I guess they were my reasons, leaving on my own terms, feeling ultimately fulfilled as an athlete, knowing that I had to make the decision at some point. And lastly, because Ironman was becoming... I don't know how to say this without sounding arrogant and I don't, (laughs) but it was becoming comfortable. It was my comfort zone. Hmm. I knew how to train four, five, six hours a day. I knew how to apply myself. I knew that I could do it. And for me, life's about different challenges and to continue would have been the easiest thing. Hmm. You know, emotionally, I was secure in it. Um, Financially, I was secure in it. But eventually that challenge dissipates if you're comfortable. Right. And the hardest thing to do as an athlete often is to not do it anymore. (laughs) Um, Clearly. So maybe that's why I needed to do it too. Huh. Very insightful. That's interesting. So that leads nicely into my next question about this. You say that in your book, you have this over, in quote, overwhelming drive for self-improvement. Now you're not racing and you're still pursuing this, this drive for self-improvement. And I think, frankly, for a lot of our health and wellness coaches, they have the same thing. First of all, where did that come from? Or what's your sense of where that came from for you? How do you keep it fed now when you're not competing at the same level, at least? And then suggestions for coaches that want to help others engage in that same drive and use it for good, even though it may not quite be at the Chrissy Wellington level. Oh, wow. Where does it come from? I, you know, as I alluded to before, I think I've applied that characteristic across my life ever since I was a, a young girl. Um, My parents were really supportive, but never, never pushy always encouraging and they always kind of facilitated um, opportunities, but whether I took them or not, they didn't mind. Um, <laughs> so, but I just, ever since I was a young girl at school, I just always wanted to 
do the best that I can. I was competitive with myself and I was competitive with my peers. You know, I wanted to get an A grade, but I also wanted to get the best A grade. (laughs) Um, And I've applied that across all areas of my life. And I don't think that striving for self-improvement necessarily means striving to be number one in the world. It just means striving to be the best that you can be in, you know, at whatever you're doing in any particular time. So I am constantly striving <laughs> to be a better mother, you know, and any given day, I think, you know, how can I do this better? Mm. How can I perform better as, as, as the mother to this amazing daughter? And that's, that's something I take very, very seriously and, and I'm not perfect and, uh, but I want to want to improve. And the same goes for friendships and, and, um, you know, my, my relationship obviously with, with, with my husband and, and food and, and nutrition you know, I, I'm, I am constantly striving just to, to do the best I can, but also be kind to myself when I don't, mm-hmm. um, especially around nutrition. Maybe we'll touch on this, on, on this later, but it's been a, you know, a, a struggle for me, um, for, for a long time now. And, and I have to accept that sometimes it's a few steps forward and one, and, and one step back. So I think setting, setting goals is a really important in terms of practical tips, setting goals, um, but also those stepping stone goals. So not only seeing, you know, a journey towards an A race, but you've also got your C and your B races, um, along the way, um, being accountable. I think social media, that makes that very easy. If you put out, I'm going to achieve X, Y, and Z, I'm going to cut out sugar, or I'm going to do 10 press-ups, or I want to enter an Ironman, you know, people are sure as hell going to hold you accountable to that. So that, that sometimes helps. But, you know, also holding yourself accountable, putting little reminders um, in various places. I used to have Post-it notes everywhere that, that helped me. And also taking people along for the ride. Mm. You know, when you're striving for improvement, just having people that can assist in that and not seeing yourself as an island is very, very important. Um, You know, for the example, you know, dietary changes. Dietary changes, if, if you're part of a family especially, are very difficult. And if you can encourage your family to come along for the ride and it's to be a shared endeavor, that, I guess increases your chances. Oh, huge, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, and and so having people that can support you in that um, in the pursuit of that goal, or for it even to be a shared goal, um, can be really useful. I think. Wow, that's good. Really good. Okay, so you had a, a, a new book out last, basically last year at this time, called "To the Finish Line." It basically, gives us an excuse to get into the endurance training weeds for a minute. Can you provide a couple of little known secrets for those that are into that aspect that might be listening that want to really push the edges of our physical abilities? Yeah, that, that was a, a labor of love, that book. Um, <laughs> my autobiography was published in 2012. And while it was 
thankfully really well received it was quite light on kind of tangible practical training mm. advice so hopefully exactly. the book provided that um one thing i would say is that it's not just about physical training physical development physical performance it, the psychological side particularly in endurance sports is as important and for some people a 5k can be an endurance activity sure. so it's as much psychological as physical. So I think training the brain, training the mind, becoming mentally strong is as important as becoming physically strong. That's, that's key. So I see training in, in a holistic sense. Even when I was an athlete, training for me wasn't simply swim, bike, and run. Because all the professional athletes I knew were doing roughly the same training. Yeah, there's an element of, of genetics and physiology, but a lot of it is the ancillary work that you do outside of the swim, bike, and run. So whether that is psychological strengthening and mental training, whether that's diet and nutrition, getting adequate sleep and rest and recovery, whether that's strength and conditioning, um, whether it's all the practical preparations that, that come from um, doing, a, doing a sport. So there is a lot more to, to training than, than simply ticking a box and saying, I've done a certain session and, and expecting um, success. I think one of my key learnings as an athlete was the importance of rest. And it was an anathema to me um, prior to becoming a professional triathlete. I worked for the government um, as a policy advisor on international development. So I was embarking in kind of a passion for endurance sports whilst working full time. And for me, rest was just tantamount to weakness. So I was training hard and I was training yeah. Day and when I wasn't training, I was socializing or working. Um, I, working or socializing probably should have been the order. <laughs> um, and it was only when I started, when I became a professional athlete, that my first coach made me realize that it wasn't the training that was making me stronger. It was the rest and recovery from that training. And it was not only important to rest my body, but to rest my mind and it's a luxury for um, amateur athletes who like I said are combining you know their their passion for in this case endurance sports with other aspects of their life but still it's no less important probably even more important to incorporate rest and recovery and to not feel guilty about it and to embrace it as a way of making yourself um, stronger and not only stronger in the short term, but to ensure your longevity um, in the sport or activity of, of your choice of your choice. Nice. Very good. Okay. So let's broaden it out a little bit more, more the, the well-being side of things. Are there, uh, let me take a step back. I, th I think a lot of people assume athletes like yourself, the, the greatest in the world, some of the greatest we've ever seen, don't have to struggle with the day-to-day -day stuff, the well-being stuff. Can you walk us through some of the things in your own life that maybe have been a struggle that folks that don't, people that have read know that you've shared this openly, but maybe some things to encourage people to say, hey, look, we're all human. We all got issues in your clients. Maybe that'll help them with something they're trying to work through with the client or their own life. We are... Uh successful because of the things we endure not despite of mm. so i think that you know as as athletes whatever level 
we reach, you know, we're shaped by our strengths and our and our so-called weaknesses. So I try and see the kind of see things in in that kind of context. And yes, I have had had struggles and and often professional athletes are put on this pedestal and people assume that we don't find things difficult, especially if you kind of race with a smile and and look like you're really enjoying yourself inside and and in your private life there, you know, there are challenges that have to be overcome. And maybe that is what makes you that successful athlete. And one example, as I alluded to before is around um, nutrition and specifically disordered eating and and having to um, grapple with some of those challenges since I was a was a teenager and I have to say that it was sport that enabled me to um, address some of the problems because I realized that if I wanted to achieve my ambitions in sport that at that time were at an amateur level I needed to fuel myself correctly and so I did a lot of reading around you know, nutrition for, for performance and, in, and informed myself. And that helped me develop a different relationship with food and then latterly with, with my body. So instead of seeing my body as this kind of external shell, I saw it as a kind of almost like mechanical vehicle mm. that I had to um, maintain if I was going to achieve success. And some would say that I... Uh, that the kind of disordered eating then, you know, transitioned or manifested into, you know, disordered activity in terms of the volume of activity I was doing helped me then, I, I guess, um, find an outlet for the, for the, 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 psycho- the, the psychology that was underpinning the disordered eating, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, and, I, I wouldn't say that that was the case because when I was training, I was also fueling very, very effectively because if I hadn't have been, I wouldn't have been able to achieve what I did. However, what I will admit was that when I retired and reduced the volume the of training and the intensity of training, the, the demons reappeared mm. and I needed to find... Um, ways of 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 coping with them and and managing them and um seeing my body as something different to an athletic machine again and appreciating that it would change and it it would alter because I was no longer an athlete and I think that that process was helped by us becoming pregnant and me seeing myself as again some someone and somebody that could grow a new life and that's a really powerful uh way of enabling you to reflect on who, who you are and what your body means and what it's capable of and and all of a sudden I was acutely aware again that I had to fuel not for athletic performance but for the health of myself and 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 this new life that we'd created and then latterly my role as a as a mother and as a role model to her 
means that I'm acutely aware of the messages that I'm sending. Mm. And so it's a long-winded answer to your question, but yes, there have been struggles and there have been differing ways that I've dealt with it um, and differing ways that I've kind of perceived myself and, and, and my body. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate it. I know a lot of people will resonate with that. Let's talk a little bit about the self. It sounds like you used a lot of self-talk and mantra type things in your racing. Can you walk us through that concept just generally with the audience? And then any ways that you see that being utilized in everyday life? So for the person that's not a four-time Ironman world champion, for the person that's not out there on elite drive coming down to the final shoot, but just trying to eat better or exercise more consistently or get to bed on time. Have you seen in your work, especially your current role, where those types of things have been helpful in other aspects of life, mantras or self-talk? Oh, gosh, yes. The, the, <laughs> strategies and, the strategies and tools that you apply in an Ironman race are those that you'll apply in all aspects of your life. So the, the need to to set a goal, to have a clear goal, to have those stepping stone goals, to breaking a goal down into manageable segments. So I never raced an Ironman thinking I was doing an Ironman. I just thought I was getting to the first swim buoy. Mm. And then you're getting out of the swim and then you're doing the bike ride in 40K increments and you're doing the marathon in 10K increments. And if times get tough, you break it down still further. So you're breaking that goal down into manageable segments. So that's applicable no matter what you know journey you're on whether it's a you know a dietary journey or something in your professional career or 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 in sports so that's that that's very very applicable having a mantra so i mine was never give up and smile and it was really really important and it was part of like you said this positive self talk you know that constantly i think we we use negative phrases, negative words, negative language to describe ourselves that we would never use in public. We'd never describe other people like we do sometimes ourselves mm. and to talk to ourselves pos- positively to counter this negative self-talk with positive words and phrases is really, really important. I used uh, or drew, drew on kind of videos or, or books or poems that inspired me. So I used Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling's If a lot. Mm-hmm. I used to write yeah. it on all my water bottles just because the words really resonated with me and made me, I guess, they inspired me and motivated me um, and gave me strength. Um, I also watched videos or read books about people that had overcome adversity much more adversity than I ever faced and succeeded. And that gave me the courage that I could do it. Linking back to the positive self-talk, but also being kind to yourself, knowing that sometimes you might not reach your goal or you might have what is a quote unquote failure, but trying to realize that that doesn't define you and that every person was built from their ability to overcome adversity. Mm-hmm. and that it's so cliche, but it makes us stronger because we learn and we become more resilient 
um, a little bit maybe more more humble in my case, you know, when things don't go according to plan. Um, so also just being kind to yourself and knowing that if things don't go according to plan, that you can and and you will succeed. Um, leaning on others is incredibly important. I alluded to that before, but having a really strong support network of of positive people, you know, ditch the naysayers, ditch the people that tell you you can't do something and surround yourself by people, can do people, positive people that have cups half full that can really motivate you and encourage you and and inspire you. That's, you know, that's really, really important. And getting, getting a coach is, is very, very important. It was important to me in my athletic journey to have that person that could hold me accountable that I could lean on that could be a friend and a mentor and that could see me in uh as an individual and tailor things to to suit me and that was that was really really important so the value of a coach in achieving someone to to reach their goal cannot be underestimated Fantastic. Thank you. You know, you're, you're talking about you smiling, running out on that crazy course. It reminds me, you and Natasha were the first I can remember doing that consistently. Now the research is heavy. You, you can see all, all yeah. over the place. Alex Hutchinson's written on it. A lot of research on smiling actually improves your outcome. Had you read any of that before, some early research, or did you just say, hey, this is the best way for me to keep a positive outlook is to smile. It creates a change in the, the people that I'm running by in terms of the audience and people cheering. They're happier, so that makes me happier. What 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 went into that? Was that strategic, accidental, a, a discovery? Oh. Along the <laughs> Brad, I, I hadn't read a thing. I knew nothing about the sport of triathlon, let alone the fact that smiling was supposed <laughs> to help. Um, no, it it was something that happened very, very naturally to me. Um, I saw, and I still do see my sport as a performance. It wasn't just executing a race. It was almost like a actor on a stage, you know, performing and kind of perfecting my craft in, in front of a crowd. And so I was, I was acutely aware that people were watching me and I wanted to give something back. Um, then when you give something back, it, it empowers you. Mm. If you smile at someone, they smile back. It gives you a boost. It gives them a boost and it gives you a boost. So it was this reciprocal kind of uplifting process. Um, secondly, it really helps you relax. You know, if you relax your face, if you, if you allow your face, not a huge beaming smile all the time, but if you just relax <laughs> your face, it's so, it's so important. If you grimace, you're kind of tensing your eyes and then you tense your shoulders and you tense your whole body. So it, it helps you. It really does help you relax. I think it can help to counter negative thoughts. Um, you know, if you force yourself to smile, you force yourself to think of positive thoughts and that to manifest in a smile, I think that that can really help. And yes, for me, maybe more latterly, if I masked the pain with a smile, it would impact my competitors. But that sounds a little bit um, (laughs) too strategic. Um, I mean, was it a game face? Potentially. I didn't want to give too much away. And I was hurting at times that I was smiling, but 
for the most part, I'm smiling because I'm enjoying it. I loved it. It was a blessing and a privilege to be able to do what I did. And there's no better way to convey that than by smiling. So good. So good, Chrissy. Last couple of questions. The, so your, your involvement with Park Run, uh, I was going to say in the UK, but really more globally, has, has put you right in the dead center of the well-being, wellness world. If you're advising, and you kind of are here, if you're advising health and wellness coaches who wanted to make a bigger impact on helping people improve their lives, any suggestions, ways to grow their coaching practice and have the biggest possible impact on the, on the clients they're working with? I've just been, been made so aware through the work over the last few years that we, we live in a blame culture. So people are obese, people are lazy, people are inactive, people don't take responsibility for themselves. And I am aware much more that we're products of environment, our environment. And it's the environment that also needs to change so that people can seize opportunities. If you don't have access to healthy food or you haven't got their financial resources or you haven't got the information um, to be able to, to cook with certain ingredients, then it's really, really difficult to have that that personal response or to, to have that personal responsibility for, for change. Um, so I think it's important for people, for coaches to look at the environment in which people live and make take encourage them to take steps that are um, realistic um, in terms of the context of, in which they live for people to realize that it's not always big steps sometimes it's it's smaller steps that that really matter and last that everyone is a role model mm. everyone um, you know, I'm a role model for my daughter. My husband is a role model to, to, to me. I'm a role model to my, my friends. So I think we have the power. Everyone has the power to be able to inspire and motivate and help others. It doesn't have to be celebrities, you know, professional athletes like or former professional athletes like me <laughs> that, that can do that. It's everyday people can act as actors role models so hopefully the coaches that um that we're speaking to through this podcast are also acting as as role models and that self-care is is also important to them and and that they're walking the talk and and being people that that their clients can can look up to i love it i love it chrissy this is so fun what just any last statements about kind of this next step of the journey for you. you you've had a, a crazy life to date, becoming the accidental world, world champion and now <laughs> heading up this uh, UK park run uh, activities. What's next? Yeah, I, I mean, I take my role at park run. It's actually a global role. Um, yeah. take it very, very seriously. And it's something that I'm really incredibly passionate about. So I want to grow park run in the UK. We have about 180,000 people participating for free every single weekend wow 180,000 people globally about 360,000 people taking part in our free weekly 5k events including for, i guess for the majority of your listeners in 
in the USA. So helping to, to grow that, grow it as a community-led health intervention rather than a free-running 5K as, as many perceive it. So that's something that I, I'm really focused on. Um, I, I want to have you know, smaller personal goals, you know, spending more time with my daughter, smelling the flowers, you know, just really spending quality time with those that I love, continuing to travel. That's something that's very important to us as as a family. So hopefully still having the resources that enable us to to, to travel both in, in the UK and, and overseas. And then in terms of my kind of endurance endeavors, I have entered comrades this year which is probably one of the biggest events i've ever taken part in certainly one of the the scariest for me so that the biggest ultra road ultra marathon in the world and um i'm really looking forward to that but have to admit to being incredibly daunted but i guess to finish life life is like a tree brad it branches in amazing ways and some sometimes you can proactively shape that tree and sometimes these op- you're faced with the opportunities and and you and you seize them so some you know who's to say what opportunities might cross my path and what ones i i may or may not seize going going forward but all i know is oh <laughs> season with 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 both hands and make the most of them wow what a great way to wrap up thank you so much chrissy really appreciate it and i know this is uh this is going to spark a chord and leave a smile i think with with the listeners so thank you so much for joining us thank you thanks for the opportunity powerful stuff wasn't it Again, Chrissy's history is is pretty interesting. She came on the scene as a complete unknown, won the Ironman World Championship, and then was essentially untouchable for a five-year period. And and you kind of got the sense why. I mean, you could you could hear the passion in her voice, you could hear the focus. She shared a lot of tips in there. I know for the triathletes, you're probably like taking notes through that the whole time. Oh yeah, I'm gonna do this and this and this. But for those of us who are wellness coaches, for those of us who are, are thinking about going that direction and looking for tips for our own lives, she packed that thing. Uh, one of the things that she talked about was the idea that it's not just the physical. Everyone's out there training the same. The training sessions are pretty much the same. It's becoming mentally strong that's the key. One of the things that she mentioned that we've talked about before in this podcast, and that's the concept of smiling and the research behind how smiling relaxes the body and allows you to actually perform at a higher level. But she took it deeper. Did you hear that? Did you catch the difference? She essentially introduced Smiling 2.0 to endurance athletes. She talked about, okay, Brad, I didn't do my homework. I, 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 I didn't know that. I just, I was performing and I wanted to reflect back to people what they were giving to me. And so, yes, she would smile. She said, yeah, some of that was gamesmanship. But part of it is when she would smile, the spectators would smile back and that would fill her with more energy. I mean, think about that. For those of you out there racing, marathons, triathlons, anything where there's spectators, we know the smiling works in general. And now you know Smiling 2.0. I was just like, oh my gosh, I got to write that down. That's awesome. She also mentioned a poem and, and we talked about it real quickly, so I looked it up so you'd know what she's talking about. It's a poem, If, by Rudyard Kipling. So you may want to look that up as well. But again, just a big thank you to Chrissy. Incredible, 
incredible interview, very honest, very reflective, and, and I know it's going to be very beneficial to so many. We are publishing this episode literally on the day of our the beginning of our next fast track. So it's literally impossible for you to sign up for that fast track. But we do do them four times a year. And I know for most of you, you're not on a specific schedule with these podcasts. So you're, you may be hearing this a month later, two months later. Just know you've got the option if you want to pursue the wellness coach certification of the fast track that's in Colorado currently four times a year, as well as a distance learning option that you can do anytime. And then we're having more and more organizations and individuals that are asking us to come to their town or their city or actually their country now. So if that's something you'd like to look into, reach out to us. Happy to chat about it. Again, any questions you have, if you're pondering this stuff, if you wonder how this fits in your career, if you have an idea about a future podcast, anything, it's results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. The website is catalystcoachinginstitute.com. And literally, we're here for you. That's why we do this. We love seeing that growth in the industry. We love seeing the individuals come through and see those those light bulbs go off. So we're here. We're happy to chat, happy to talk you through anything related to that. So with that, just a reminder, the path to our best self begins with our better self. And I think that's such a critical message to be sharing as a coach, as a friend, as a spouse, as a parent, as a boss, whatever role you're playing that path to best self can be oftentimes incredibly intimidating. But when we focus on our better self, we can do that. And so can those around us. So let's keep working towards better than yesterday for ourselves and all those around us. Make it a great rest of the day. And I'll look forward to speaking with you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. Mm-hmm.